Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. It's a disgrace. Who would say a thing like that? Only an animal would say a thing like that. There is nobody that has more respect for not only our military, but for people that gave their lives in the military. There is nobody, and I think John Kelly knows that. I think he would know that. I think he knows that from me. Well, maybe an animal with bone spurs. What do you think, Axe? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think everybody would agree with the president that only an animal would say that. The question is whether he would be said animal. To help us answer this and other questions, we, we have our old friend, the brilliant Stephanie Cutter, my old colleague aboard today. Stephanie, good to, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Welcome to the hacker here. Boy, a lot to talk about, including the fact that the president apparently can't stand the U.S. military. And, and I think, at least behind closed door, they don't like him either. That is clear. And uh, you know, the president said yesterday in this very weird and meandering and frantic kind of press conference that he had yesterday that the, uh, that the, the rank and file in the military love him, but the brass doesn't because they are profiteering off of war and he's not a pro-war president. But actually, the Military Times poll yeah. in August suggested that the uh, rank and file is more for Biden than for for Trump. But Stephanie, my question is, does this stuff really move anything? Does it? What does it do? Because it really seems like if Trump denies, as he did there, no matter what the evidence that he said it is, uh, his supporters are going to be inclined to believe it or discount it. Well, I think it's not really about his supporters. I think it's about people who may have been his supporter in 2016 and now are on the fence, uh, or people who are looking for a rationale to vote for Biden. It's just one other argument piled on many, many other arguments about whether he is suited to be the president of the United States, or in this case, the commander in chief. You know, I think in the history of this country, we've never had a story like that of a president disparaging the military or verbalizing that he doesn't understand what's in it for them and putting their lives on the line for this country. That's incredulous <laughs> to uh, most yeah, Americans. No, it is. It is. Um, and, you know, I think that the fact, you know, they can deny it. Um, but I also think it doesn't surprise anybody that he said those things. Well, that's the point. That's the point. So before 2016, we never had a presidential candidate say that a, a, a hero like John McCain, who spent five and a half years in a Hanoi prison being tortured, was not a hero because he got captured. But Murphy, I guess my feeling, look, I'm as outraged about it as anybody. It's 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 appalling. But as a practical political matter, I can tell from your hysterical tone that you're famous for. No, no, I'm I, I'm totally with you on this. The, the quite, we, we all lived through the McCain thing, which didn't really hurt Trump. But I, I think this one is a little bit different. Uh, and so it's working on a lot of levels, all bad for Trump. Level one is this is a whopper even by Trump standards, and it's very credible. Even Fox News has verified it, so it's big. Two, and this is a point, David, you've made before that I totally agree with, two-thirds of the country already admits in polling they know Trump doesn't tell the truth, so nobody believes his denials. You know, he doesn't have any real framework of credibility to say, oh, it's a stinking lie. Nobody's going to believe him. And finally, the whole strategy, since Trump is behind and in trouble, 
was to start changing the topic of the election from firing him to what's wrong. Yeah, with right, Biden. right. Well, that that I believe. Yeah. And this gets in yeah. the way because, you know, they wanted to start with the convention and ride it through the first debate and clobber Biden in the first debate on the 29th of September on defense. So September was about reclocking for Trump. But they've had a little luck in that the national topic has been rioting in disorder. But I think Biden's fought back pretty well. But that's not his ground. Now Trump's clammed this thing up for another week, hurting himself, getting in the way of any offense he might have had, burning precious days. So I think it's really bad for Trump, and it may break through. There's one other point that if you think of who are the veterans across this country, you know, he ran in 20. Right. They're his people with a very strong message that he was going to have the backs of working Americans and particularly white working Americans. And if you look at in Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, you have a lot of veterans in those states who will be paying attention to this and think, you know, when I was serving, if my president said something like that, I would think twice about whether this person was fit to be the commander in chief. And I think that will weigh on people. You know, I think people are disgusted by this. I would think you were right. But experience tells me that we are we are in such a tribal environment that uh, I think the effect of that will be limited. I think the last point that Murphy made is is absolutely true, though. Uh, You know, if you're playing defense, you're not on offense. And this put him on defense for several days. It may for 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 more days. There may be spinoffs off the story. Plus, you've got uh, you've got Michael Cohen's book coming out this week. You have Strokes uh, Peter Strokes book coming out this week. The FBI agent and Bob Woodward's book uh, is coming out in the next few days. Each of which are going to create firestorms that he is going to have to respond to. And those are days that he cannot go on the offense uh, against Joe Biden. So I don't know that this will change the structure of things. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I mean, I you know, you're right. Most of the, you know, the, you've got a preponderance of rural white uh, whites among these veterans and among uh, uh, military families. And uh, uh, that that is a core constituency for Trump. If this is story is believed by them, they will uh, maybe there'll be some effect of that. But the biggest effect is they are behind by seven points and they need to make up ground. And it's hard to make up ground when you're backpedaling. You know, there's one thing, though, I'm going to hallelujah, Stephanie, because I, I, I'm like you. I've been suspicious of anything breaking through on Trump because so little has. But one, even if it doesn't, even if it only takes two points off his core, he's so far behind that 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 even digs him deeper into a swamp of death that he's in. But at rvet.org, Republican Voters Against Trump, a lot of the ads that people do that we put on digital, people just kind of call in and want to make an ad on their computer. And we've in the last week, we've had Marine Corps drill instructors calling in to make an ad against Trump, who are buzz cut, 60-year-old, tough as nails, white guys, who I guarantee you have not been pulling the mm-hmm. damn lever for decades, and they're pissed. So, you know, it just yeah. naturally what's coming in the door, knocking on it, uh, are, are ticked off people. The only thing that's broke my heart, and I believe me, after three and a half years of Trump, my expectations are low. Where are the resignations? You know, a lot of these foreign policy people have served in this White House saying, we know he's a toddler, but we got to hold the world together. Well, it's 60 days out. The world will be fine. How can you, how can you staff this guy? I mean, they're losing any fig leaf left they have. Even the commandant of the Marine Corps, who's a great leader and a hero, but this is such an insult to to Uncle Sam's miserable children, as they used to say. Uh, 
I'm surprised there hasn't been more more protest out of the flag officers or out of the foreign policy staff in the White House. It's shameful, in my view. Where's the honor? It's time for some resignations. You know, you guys on this uh, issue of the uh, people who are in uniform right now, I got this really, really heartbreaking letter from or email from a young man I know who's in the service. He's um, he's an enlisted man. Um, and he's a Republican. I know he, I, you know, I know that he's a Republican and he said, it's obviously sickening that for the past four years, the military has had such a reprehensible and incompetent commander in chief. Sadly, sadly, I think many of us are just desensitized to that now, but as the election approaches, what truly horrifies me is the possibility of another four years of serving under such an immoral, ignorant, unpatriotic monster of a man, the organizational damage, institutional corruption and moral corrosion would take a century to repair. Mm-hmm. I mean... That yeah. is, um, we, we are hacks, and so we're trained to be cynical yeah. by experience, by hard experience. I will be interested to see if all of this ends up uh, moving stuff. It may not move stuff in the polls that we see over the next you know, several weeks, but I think it is, it is part of the hardening of where the race is. And mm-hmm. that letter that you got asked, I think that there are conversations like that happening all over the military. You know, if you look at uh, during the Democratic Convention, we had a a 95-year-old World War II vet, Ed Good, who had voted Republican his entire life. He reached out uh, in a nursing home. He's blind. Um, He reached out through his daughter to the Biden campaign to say that he's had enough and he wants to find a way to support Biden. So we, you know, put him on the program. And in his words, he said, this is the worst president that we've ever had. I think those conversations are happening. And, you know, we, every four years, we all think about how we're going to get the military vote. I think that the military vote right now is having those conversations and it, it's starting to solidify. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous, but nauseous, nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just, you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah, a good and, you, and and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea, from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. 
Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. We should point out two things, Mike. Uh, well, one is Stephanie. We should give her the credit she's due. She was the brilliant architect of the uh, Democratic Convention, took the thing from from start to finish, uh, and just just did a, a wonderful job with this. You also were the well communications done. director for John Kerry in 2004. And so this uh-huh. issue of the military vote, uh, you know, John Kerry was a decorated war hero, and they went right at that. Uh, and that was a major sort of focus of, of that uh, campaign. So you've had some experience with this. Uh-huh. And those communications amongst veterans or active service, you don't see that. (laughs) Um, You know, people like us don't see those conversations until it's too late if they're going against your guy or girl. So I'm pretty confident those conversations are being had right now. And like we said earlier, uh, you know, it it would be so unbelievable if it wasn't so believable (laughs) with this guy. So uh, it's hard to yeah. see anybody out there other than, you know, his immediate staff around him really defending him. So it's, it's believable. There's an opportunity now for Biden to keep up with his supply lines and fill the zone with some veteran messaging about meat mm-hmm. and potato issues like the VA, where there's no reason why he can't go on the offense on Trump and reassure people. Because uh, Joe has the advantage of kind of, a, you know, the perception of being a lunch pail old school Democrat, which is an advantage with that vote, which then does tend to be more culturally conservative and worried about some elements of the party. So, you know, Biden has a hole in the lines now and he ought to exploit it like any good mm-hmm. Marine would. Uh, well, and he has and he has the resources to yeah, do which, it. Which and he's also a, a blue star dad. So he has the credibility. Totally. He's got much more of a military connection than Trump that, you know, the only thing Trump ever landed on was Studio 54. So I, I would exploit this to the max. But let's talk about this. What has orange hair, uh, a dark soul and 800 million missing dollars? The president of the United States. You know, and I, I have to admit, I, I have to take one insufferable, I'll make it very quick, happy lap here. Because when Brad Parscale, the Ferrari collector who was running the Trump campaign, was blowing endless money on paid digital early in the year. Those of us who'd been around Republican politics knew it was the Republican obsession with small-dollar donors. It was fundraising spent. But there was a huge panic in the Democratic yeah. Party about, oh, my God, they've got a brilliant digital plan. This is all going to lock in the reelection. Oh, my God, some Democrat bedwetting, as the saying goes. And, you know, campaigns that bedwet are smart. That is a staple of campaigns. Yeah, no, exactly. I like the joke that under Trump, we're the stupid party and the Dems are the neurotic party. But some of us at the time were saying, no, 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 you can't believe they're just blowing it all on fundraising prospecting. That's what they do. This guy's just out of control. And now it appears in a great New York Times story that's must read for political junkies. They blew 800 million bucks on dumb TV and massive donor prospecting before the convention. And now the Trump campaign, the former titan of fundraising, 
has cash flow problems and is being beat on the air in the swing states by Biden by like four to one in spending in television. It's incredible. Which is why when you say that he ought to, uh, that Biden ought to capitalize on this, he has the resources to right. do it, which which is something that no one anticipated. Remember earlier in the year, the, the one of the great criticisms of the Biden campaign was that their fundraising and particularly their digital fundraising was anemic. They raised $350 million in August. That just blew the doors off of uh, of all records. But Stephanie, the thing that interest, interested me as uh, about that piece was Pascal's quotes. I don't know if you saw the mm-hmm. Times piece, but boy, I mean, if he, if, if he could have drawn a map that led right to uh, right to Jared, Jared Kushner, Kushner. Uh, it would have been right there in the paper. I mean, yeah. he basically said that he was the guy in charge. Yeah. This, is not, this is not a good sign for campaigns on Labor Day when, uh, you know, they're in a circular firing squad. Yeah. I mean, I think he, his words were, no decisions were ever made without the blessing of the family or the family without the yes. family's a- agreement. And the family in this case yeah, said several times. is Jared. Yeah. So I'd love yeah. to be a fly on the wall <laughs> in the White House this morning. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, you can imagine. Or last the, night. The, the Egg McMuffin bouncing off the White House w- walls as the president screams. The other thing, like any bad family business opera here, do you know, one, one of the, there's so much good stuff in this article, but they've actually got, the woman who you could hear without amplification, I'm blanking on her name, Kimberly Guilfoyle, former first lady of San Francisco <laughs> under a Democratic uh, mayor, now governor, I might add. But anyway, they have her and another Trump daughter-in-law on the payroll of the media the buying payroll. firm, because I'm sure yeah. they're experts in psychographic yeah. targeting. Right. It, it, you know, it, with, with no transparency. <laughs> right, right. All hidden, all payola. It's like one of his bad real estate deals. I mean, casino accountants would look at this and be offended. Plus, they're paying tens and tens of millions of dollars in legal defense bills. They are raping the RNC and they are defrauding Mm -hmm. Republican donors. It is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And he's making money in the process. Yes, grifter. Through all of his Trump properties and putting his family on the payroll. So that is his special genius, isn't it? Monetizing everything. I guess. So uh, this is not. It's just so greedy. Not a huge surprise. He's going to get what he can get out of this. But yeah, you wonder how those Republican donors are feeling this morning over their coffee as they read that Yeah, they ought to feel like fools. Um, You know, the other thing is I had a friend who was one of the best Republican direct response guys for 20 years. And he used to say, you know, whenever you're a little too cynical or you, you walk around the building and see wasted money, Go down to the caging operation. This was when we didn't get a lot of it by credit card, but actual paper checks. And read what direct mail people call the white mail, which are the little notes people sent with the $15 about how they skipped their medicine this week because they know the party needed the money for the emergency appeal. And so these grifters, they, they ought to be ashamed because it is they, there are people who give money to Trump because they believe in the Republican cause. And they believe the direct mail and the, the digital material they get saying it's urgent. And just to see them living like Romanoffs, uh, ripping off these people who they think are suckers is absolutely criminal. And they, they have absolutely no shame. It is disgusting. You know, uh, the other thing that interested me about uh, the story was their contention that the people who criticized the strategy said they spent too much money on television early when people weren't paying attention. And Stephanie, you remember we in the 2012 campaign and to some degree 2008, we actually front loaded our money and 
communicated very aggressively in May and June and July and August mm-hmm. because um, my feeling was that, uh, A, you had to define your opponent in the race before the conventions because once you get to Labor Day, I mean, paid media has importance and value and the fact that Trump is dark and, and, and Biden is, is heavily on the air means something. But it's much harder to break through with ads after Labor Day when the coverage is so intense that people are they're seeing the race on their screen constantly and they're going to default to what they see uh, on those newscasts, uh, you know, on cable TV more than they will paid ads, Murphy. I, I don't know that many. I can't think of uh, many examples of paid ads that aired after Labor Day that had a really decisive impact yeah. on a race. No, <laughs> I, I think moving up the advertising has power, though, again, Paid advertising can help you get September. They didn't do it well as the problem. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Well. September's important because September's when you try to reclock it in the debate. So a lot of paid mm-hmm. media can help September. And by the way, that's exactly what Biden is doing right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And Trump isn't because he's broke. But, but you're right. It was bad advertising. They didn't have a coherent yeah. theme on Biden. And because Trump's sitting in the Oval picking ads, and, you know, it, this thing is run like a bad congressional race with an egomaniacal candidate. You guys had a had a very research-driven, and, you know, I might say as a Romney guy, and I know Mitt listens to the podcast, a horrible slanderous attack on a great American <laughs> that summer. But yeah. you, you did put Romney in a box, which was beneficial to propping up the, you know, shameful record of Barack Obama for re-election. <laughs> However, yeah. it worked because you knew what you were doing. They don't. When in doubt, go with the simple theory. They're morons. And they blew a lot of, well, and Stephanie, also the other just, stuff just, they spent on, you know, the, the overhead, the yes men, the in-laws, crazy. The car and driver. Yeah. Yeah, for car and driver for Pascal. Uh, Stephanie, I think you were the only one in the 2012 campaign who actually had a car and driver. I don't think, <laughs> they, there weren't a lot of us. Who, yeah, it was called Uber. You know, you know, Bentleys are complicated. You want to focus on the polling you're reading on your iPhone. You got to can't drive it. But what I look for is message coherency. They did not have a coherent and consistent Mm-mm. attack on Biden. And you heard it yesterday, even yesterday in the president's press conference. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at times he's the senile Biden. At times it's he's a radical mm-hmm. left. At times he's corrupt. He was just like throwing everything against the wall, which is kind of what his media has done. Mm-hmm. And if you say a lot of a lot of different things, you're actually right. saying nothing. Nothing. Right. He's had a hard time having anything stick to Biden because the more people see Biden, they realize what the president is saying is just completely off base. In addition to what you're saying, acts of just, you know, having the whole alphabet soup thrown at Biden, it negates anything being said on him. One other point, though, you know, he was doing this in a in an era of COVID. You know, those were some of the worst. Yeah, which is very hard to break through. It's hard to break through, but it's also people might have, you know, just been turned off by it. Like, why is the president running an ad against Joe Biden instead of good point getting this country on course. But the biggest problem, I mean, if you were to go under the Trump White House and find the secret box with the key strategic document that drives all the bad messaging and drives the bad, that drives everything they do, the secret idea is let's win a Republican primary. 
They have never pointed the machine, the White House communications, policy, anything they do. Mm -hmm. They've never pointed it at the voters they need. They're always talking to the voters they already have. That's not their view, Mike. We've talked about this a lot. That's not their view. Well, how's it working for them, though? Well, I mean, we'll find out. But their their view is that, that this is all about mobilization. And by that way, that secret box you're talking about in the White House, it, it exists between Donald Trump's left ear and his right ear. <laughs> uh, that's where the secret box is. What's in it? <laughs> a lot of air in there, too. Plenty of room. <laughs> you don't want to know. All right. Let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Stephanie, I wanted to ask you one thing about before we move on, because I got a couple other things I want to I want to cover here. When you were putting the convention together, I was impressed by um, the amount of time you spent fleshing out Joe Biden uh, and on family, faith, the military connection. How much of that strategically was done anticipating the kinds of attacks that Trump we would hear from Trump in the Republican convention and beyond? The theory of the case, and I, and I want to say up front that there was a, a great team working on this. It wasn't just one I person. I know you would say that. The theory of the case is that people really wanted to know more about Joe Biden. In any of the data that we had, they wanted to hear more about Joe Biden, less about Trump. There's virtually no new information that can be introduced on Trump that's going to yeah. persuade any of the voters. That was that my Biden point about the military after. thing, yeah. You know, it could suppress the military thing could suppress some votes, but right, right, right. But in terms of the Biden campaign for their targeted voters, they needed to introduce Biden before Trump could. But also, right. there was a real yearning to learn more about Biden and presenting him as, as who he is. You know, I said this at the, after the convention. That convention wouldn't have been successful for almost any other candidate except for Biden because Biden's story is so rich um, and so. Um, empathetic and deep and relatable to people um, that the story kind of told itself, um, you know, yeah. talking about his commitment to his family, um, some of the hardships that he has suffered, tragic, tragic hardships, um, you know, allows him to empathize with, with people across this country, his commitment to military families, his uh, fight right. uh, to cure cancer, uh, his uh, <laughs> relatability to working American. Don't go ad maker on us I can here. keep going. Please, sorry, Let me keep going. We got it. We've already got sponsors <laughs> for this. Amtrak. So, Love Sam Track. <laughs> well, like I said, it's hard not to keep going. My only point is I think that the, uh, the underlayment of family, faith, military, and so on mm-hmm. makes it so much harder for Trump to depict Biden as a, a, a far-left radical or the tool uh, of far left radicals. So there there was a Republican uh, who was out there saying uh, uh, Trump is three debates and a vaccine away from yeah. uh, from winning this race. I want to I want to talk about those two things because there was and let's take the vaccine first. Over the weekend Kamala Harris was on TV and she had this to say about the prospect that Trump has raised of a vaccine in the maybe within the next uh, f- uh, 5 weeks. Do you trust that in the situation where we're in now, that the public health experts and the scientists will get the last word on the efficacy of a vaccine? If past is prologue, that they will not. They'll be muzzled. They'll be suppressed. They will be sidelined because he's looking at an election coming up in less than 60 days. 
and, um, and he's grasping for whatever he can get to pretend that he has been a leader on this issue when he is not. So let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. Um, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. And it would have to be a credible source of information that talks about the, um, the efficacy and the, and the reliability of whatever he's talking about. I will not take his word for it. Mm. Okay, so Donald Trump fired back yesterday, said Democrats were trying to, it was terrible, they're trying to politicize the vaccine. And he said, which may come before a very special day, he said, mm-hmm. meaning election day, kind of ironic in the same in the same paragraph that he should do that. But consistency is not a strength of uh, or a concern of the president's. But uh, the question is, what happens? Like I've said for months, there'd be a vaccine on by November 3rd. There may not be a vaccine on November 4th, but there'll be a, ma- a vaccine by November 3rd. What does it do to the race uh, if and when, as we anticipate, Trump with great fanfare announces to the nation that the vaccine has been found and uh, and help is on the way, and we're we're finally turning the corner for good on this virus. Well, look, I'm obsessed with this. I wrote a Washington Post piece about it a couple of weeks ago. I think Trump will play vaccine mania, and the bad scenario for Biden is the country is almost irrationally excited about a vaccine light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's only coming in a few months. But they believe that. And then it's all about the economy where Trump has, at least today, something I hope Biden is working to undermine, a perceived advantage on running the economy. So there is a scenario there that's bad news for Biden. Now, luckily, Trump is Trump and will overplay it. He'll say next week, you know, day after the election, you'll get it. And people know he's a liar. So I think sobriety and there will be no shortage of medical experts on TV talking about what's really going on. Though I I would flag the play I just heard from Kamala Harris. That is a mistake. Don't be anti a good vaccine on the way. That is trouble. That's rooting for America to fail. That was bad Kamala, and that's not where they go. They ought to be for a vaccine. They ought to say they're going to be better distributing it to everybody in an effective way, and they're going to be ruled by science. Well, Trump is a used car salesman, so beware. But but the tilt she took, uh, I thought, was was not helpful. Uh, she was off message. Yeah, I agree. I think we have to trust because past his prologue, like she said, that if uh, Trump's going to trip himself up on this, um, and Biden and Harris have to be rooting for a vaccine, right, rooting for a cure, rooting for the nation getting back on its feet. Um, and, it, you know, it, Trump can't help but politicize it um, and let, let the, that play out on its own. Yep. And Biden actually cleaned it up later. He did and said, I, I would sooner lose the election than mm-hmm. hold back a, a vaccine. Perfect. We need this vaccine. We show. No, I thought his tone was great. It does speak to how synced up they are on this. There was one other issue where Biden said he'd have a national mandate on mask wearing, and she said, no, just a standard. And these things are going to be noticed. This, this is, these are the growing pains of merging uh, mm-hmm. a ticket. But I, I quite agree with you guys. And, and honestly, putting down our cynical hack uh, credentials here, every single person should— Impossible. I know, but let's try for 10 seconds. Every single person should be rooting for for a vaccine. We're going through this national uh, trial. But I do think that, but I, you know, and I, I'll, I'll just say this last thing on this. Um, I've said it before. Tony Fauci is about to become the most important man in Donald Trump's life because 
someone who people trust is going to need to make a judgment and tell the American people whether this is real or not real. Now, Fauci has said he thought it was highly improbable that we'd have a a vaccine uh, in the month of October. Uh, But if he were to step forward and say every I has been dotted, every T has been crossed, I'm confident in this vaccine, that would have a different tilt on the story. I mean, I'm agreeing with you a little more aggressive because he's the beacon of truth. Kudos to the pharma companies, by the way, who said they're not going to allow games to be played. And a little free advice to Joe Biden, appoint Bill Gates vaccine czar of cabinet rank right now. So Gates is in the media with a badge every day. Um, and he is looking for a job. We know that. So, yeah, he could use the money. <laughs> it would just help out. So debates. I've said before, to September 29th, maybe the most important day. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this campaign. And I was I got to tell you guys, I was watching Trump yesterday and it was just a torrent of untruths and sort of uh, hit lines and uh, exaggerations of his own record and so on. It just went on and on. And, and I realized this is probably what we're going to see. This is probably what yeah. we're going to see. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get better, you know, under pressure mm-hmm. and the pressure. No, but up. the question is, if you're Biden, who is polite, who is deferential, except when he's coached to be aggressive and then he starts yelling. I mean, how do you modulate this? Cutter, you've been involved in debate preparation. What what do you think about this? I think he has to decide what role he wants to play in the debate. You know, is he going to be a fact checker? Because that will be a full-time job. Um, No kidding. You know, there'll be very little room to get his own message out. Or does he want to ignore that, you know, malarkey (laughs) and just focus on getting his own message out and let hopefully the moderators uh, do the job of fact checking and moderating the discussion. Like you said, Ax, it could go, it could go either way. He could be polite. um, And uh, you know, you know, when he was going through the primary debates, he was too polite because I think he was nervous about attacking his fellow Democrats. You know, he wasn't right. comfortable. And, and women, people of color, I think he, that, that all threw him mm-hmm. off. I do think in debating Trump, though, Trump is going to figure out how to get under his skin. I don't think it's a bad thing for Biden to get angry. Let, let me drop my uh, my cards here. I mean, I, I, I've said for a year that the way you beat Trump is jujitsu. I think you do need to confront him at points, but mostly mm-hmm. I think you need to use his antics and address the country and mm-hmm. ask them if we can really do this for four more years. We've seen mm-hmm. the act. We know what it is. And we know what it costs us uh, because we're in the middle of a pandemic that is worse because of his uh, his his idiosyncrasies and his traits. I, I mean, I, I, you know, but that's that, you yeah. know, and I'm sure they're working hard on it. It's a, it's a, it's a they, very they subtle, but important approach. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't think too much. Fact checking is a mistake with Trump because he'll just keep lying. Biden needs to pitch his stuff. He needs to be crisp and he needs four or five good lines, which is frankly in tough language. You're a candy ass used car salesman. You're a liar. We all know it. Boom, pivot. You know, mm-hmm. just just make it mano a mano where he he diminishes Trump without details because you can't debate. It's like debating a chimp. You know, yeah. there, there's no yeah. debate. It's just right. show dominance. I agree with you that he needs lines. And I agree with you that 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 is how you win debates. 
the question is whether it's mano a mano and try and match Trump's uh, nastiness with your own nastiness. No, no, no. I don't no. think you no. ever win. A, you know, you know, you don't win a fight like that with Donald Trump. You need to take his negative energy and use it against him. There'll be time. There'll be points where Biden needs to uh, aggressively push back. But yeah. and on the fact checking, I think he got a big break that Chris Wallace is the moderator of the first debate because, as we've seen, he is not shy about pushing back. On uh, untruths, right. and uh, that will make it even more cha- that will make it more challenging for Trump. If Biden shows strength and just kind of diminishes Trump as a liar that we're all on to, and ridicules them a little, and t- t- treats them not with respect but with kind of playful condescension from time to time, but strength. I mean, I want to hear the word candy ass or something like that that is of Biden's generation. Uh, Biden will do fine. Obviously, you've said it several times here. No, no, but 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 you know, I'm not pitching an exact line. But my point being, <laughs> it's all tone. It's not words. It's tone. Yeah. It's attitude. Well, yeah, I agree I with that. I I think it's both. I, I mean, I think it's both. I think he can. He's got to use the right tone. He's. I think there are moments where showing a little anger uh, will be good. Anger yeah. at what he's doing to the country, not what Trump is doing to Biden. Um, and use those moments as you know, key inflection points in those debates. But I do think articulating a different vision for this country, which I know Biden will do, um, is, uh, is really important because this is the first time they're going to see both people on that stage. Right. And being the anti-Trump, being sharp on certain things. Biden has succeeded in the last several weeks, including at your convention, Stephanie, in casting himself as a president in waiting. He looks like a president. He's acting like a president his in his tone and his manner and his emphasis. Um, and I think that you want to affect that. I mean, you do want to mix it up. You have to mix it up at points. But at the end of the day, you want people to look at that stage and say, who do I feel comfortable with as president of the United States? Who looks to me like a president of the United States up there? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean, you know, Hillary was a very proficient debater. I'm talking about something else. There's a sort of tone and character to the yeah, way because it's not a debate, right? It's theater. Yeah. It, 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 well, it's it's Biden has to reassure us that he he can do the job. He's crisp, and he'll get us back to normalcy. He's the safety candidate. You know, no more crazy, no more trouble. Your your economy will come back. He can run the store. The crazy experiment's over. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You don't get that everywhere, Stephanie. <laughs> okay, it's mailbag time. America wants to know if you have a question for the Hacks on Tap, you can email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us get the word out to people who may not have heard, believe it or not, about Hacks on Tap. So, Axe, question one, what do we have? We have a question from Ryan who says, you all have talked a few times about the president's strategy to register and turn out new non-college white voters. The question is, if he's doing this successfully, shouldn't we already be seeing the results in state-level registration data? What does this data look like now, and how does it compare to previous years? That is a great question, Ryan. So yeah, one of our theories of this, as we interpret what the Trump campaign is trying to do, 
is that they're not doing so well with the voters they got. So when in doubt, bring in some new voters. Now, I think the challenge they have is if you somehow missed the whole Trump thing for four years, I would be surprised if now you're going to wake up like Rumpelstiltskin and say, hey, I got to get in on this. You had 2016 for that. But it's the strategy they have. There's not a lot of data yet. I've been watching Florida where there's no surge in new Republican registrations. Both parties have been going up with population because it's a growing state. But we got to keep a lookout for that because that that is the operative strategy they have. Also in Minnesota, a state they lost last time, but think maybe in the aftermath of the riots and et cetera, et cetera, they might have a hope there. So that's something we'll be tracking on Hacks on Tap. So Axe, John wants to know this. Over the years, I've heard it said many times that undecideds tend to break against the incumbent and for the challenger. Is this actually true? And if so, do you anticipate that Joe Biden might actually win by a greater margin than the polls might currently indicate? Great question. Well, that's a crude uh, barometer, but yes, uh, they tend to break against the incumbent because people know the incumbent thoroughly, and if they haven't sided with the incumbent, they're they're often uh, uh, resistant to doing so. But that's not a hard and fast rule. It depends who the undecideds uh, are and other factors. We've got three debates coming up, for example, uh, that are going to be very meaningful uh, in this election. But the thing that I would feel good about if I were Biden is that among those voters who are negative on both of them. Biden has a significant lead. That was different in 2016 when Hillary was a quasi-incumbent and uh, people broke heavily against her at the end. So, you know, I I think that the structure of this is uh, pretty strong for Biden right now. He's got a, a substantial lead equal to the lead that Barack Obama had on Election Day in 2008 when he won a landslide, not saying that Biden's going to keep that, uh, but it's a concerning, as we discussed earlier in the pod, it's a concerning time for the incumbent. So, Stephanie, this is this is particularly good for you as a veteran of, of several presidential campaigns. Uh, Brian asks, having run big traditional campaigns, are you either envious or sympathetic uh, for the 2020 campaigns that are that they are now mostly virtual with very few public events? And this is particularly suitable for you having just done a virtual convention. You know, a a little envious because it forces innovation and forces you to look fresh uh, in a fresh way at all of the different tactics of campaigns and figure out new effective ways to reach people. And I know, you know, at least on the Biden side, because our friend Jen O'Malley Dillon is running it, she is very much doing that. Um, You know, I know they're not going door to door. Biden is just starting to travel. But they really, over the course of the last several months, did pretty well in figuring out how to virtually reach people and obviously and virtually raise money because they just raised a record amount of money. A boatload. A boatload amount of money. But um, in terms of, you know, what happens on Election Day, I think it's still... Uh, you know, I, I wonder whether that lack of personal interaction, the door to door, the neighbor to neighbor, you know, what we used to call neighbor, neighbor team leaders uh, organizing in communities, um, it, whether or not there'll be a big gap because of that. Um, but, you know, they have found innovative, new innovative ways to do that without being person to person contact. Uh, but we know acts because of the several campaigns that we've been on together, how effective that is with the right campaigns. So I think that's the jury's still out on that. Especially in marginal states where mm-hmm. the uh, 
where, where you're going to have a few thousand votes separating them. I'm interested in your observation of the Republicans, how they handled their convention, and, and what your view of that was as someone who had just produced one. Uh, how effective do you think theirs was? And what do you think about the fact that the race, this influences my feeling about what I said at the beginning, this structure of this race seems almost implacable. Uh, it's just very hard to move pieces. Right. You know, the only thing that's really moving right now are the underlying attributes. And I don't think they're going to change right. for Trump. I think Biden still has some movement, especially on the economy. The Republican convention that took place on federal property <laughs> that we all paid yes, for yes. with our tax yeah. dollars, they right. did a typical Trump affair where they wanted to use uh, symbolism rather than truth or words to get their message across. And I think, you know, they, they tried their best with, um, you know, getting some healthcare workers together, getting pe um, people who are being sworn in um, as U.S. citizens or... Uh, in the White House. In the White House. Some or, of whom didn't know that they were going to exactly. be at the convention. Or the people that he was helping with housing who didn't realize that they were just a pawn. Um, you know, I, I think because it's Donald Trump, a lot of that stuff came back and, um, and kicked him in the ass. Um, because these mm -hmm. people weren't told the truth of how they were being used. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the convention ends and he just blows it <laughs> because he can't yeah. help himself. You know, they tried to script as much as they, of, of that convention as they could. And then in a quick unscripted moment, the day after the convention, it, he wipes it all away. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump is Donald Trump and iPhones are iPhones and Twitter is Twitter, Twitter and, Twitter. and we've you got can't keep him tethered to a prompter forever. Right. It's interesting to watch his, uh, like you, you can appreciate this as, as someone who's been a career communications guru. When you write something for your candidate and they just use it to bracket their, their standup, mm -hmm. uh, that is very, very, I mean, he went out yesterday in a press conference that I think was maybe supposed to tout that the economy was getting stronger mm -hmm. because the economy is a, com a one comparative where he still maintains some edge on mm -hmm. Biden. And it was and Labor he Day. Just, and he just backed up a whole truck of crazy mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, inter in interludes within these cadenzas, with, I think that's what they're called, within uh, within the, the, the written word that was mm -hmm. on the page, and that's the biggest problem that they face. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's all this. I mean, there's certain. There, I've always said Trump has a sort of feral genius for the modern media environment, but they rely too much on it. And obviously, they recognize it because they tied him to the teleprompter at that convention. But yeah, too, for for way too long. By the way, the endless speech. I think he's he's just finishing up his con acceptance speech right now. I think, right. that, and he barely had the endurance to get through it. You know, he's leaning over the podium, could barely keep his head up. You know, all that stuff matters. No energy. You know, he's yeah. trying to call Joe Biden Sleepy Joe. Never mind America. We were all falling asleep. I fell asleep a couple of times during the Republican convention. But he was about to fall asleep um, with his remarks. Um, you know, I think, yes, he has been a, you know, a genius in modern media. But when you're the president of the United States and you've got almost four years of a record that you're, you're running on or running against, that modern media can really you know, work against you. If I were working on his campaign 
uh, as a communications person, the one request I would have is for him to go in some room in the White House and don't come out until Election Day. And all we, we would do <laughs> is put out... Good luck with that. ...produced pieces on him that were highly edited and controlled. Because otherwise, don't even bother having a communications person because anything you try to do is just going to get blown up by the latest tweet. Well, isn't that the story of the Trump administration that they've gone through all these spokespeople right. and all these press uh, communications mm-hmm. people because he is his own spokesman and he is his own communications director. And that is not going to change in the next five weeks. And they're going to live or die with that. Uh, they are. And that is the harsh reality that Bill Stepien stepped into when he took over this campaign, you can con- you can control the things you can control. You can control your budget. You can, assuming the family lets you, you can control uh, uh, you know where the president goes to some degree if he's willing. You can't control what he says. Mm-hmm. You can't control what he tweets, and that ultimately is a is a huge problem for them. But what worries you as a Democrat? What worries you if you were sitting over there and you, you know, as you point out, your your uh, your uh, partner, Jen O'Malley Dillon, who's a splendid campaign mm-hmm. manager, is sitting over there at Biden headquarters. What would keep you what would keep you up at night? You know, I guess, uh, you know, who are those white working class voters in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Michigan who may not be uh, frequent voters, but might come out and vote this time? How do we reach them? Have they already reached them? Um, and I also worry about vote by mail. You know, a lot of our supporters will rely on vote by mail. Um, and uh, there, that is, you know, we know vote by mail has been used successfully with very little, if any, fraud compared to normal voting. Um, it is reliable and particularly in the age of COVID is necessary. Um, however, this will be the largest vote by mail election we've ever had. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump's defunding of the post office and screwing around and trying to suppress the vote by telling people it's going to be, you know, there's many ways to Mm -hmm. exploit vote by mail. You know, I worry about that. Um, And I know that there's a lot of work being done to get people comfortable with vote by mail to ensure we we did a lot during the convention um, to point people Mm -hmm. in the right direction of how to make a plan to vote, whether it's vote by mail or voting in person or voting early. Make and a plan, do it early, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's a lot of unknowns um, and a lot to be worked out in the remaining five. Is it five weeks? Did you say? Fifty-five days. Fifty-five uh, days today, of yeah. this election. There's a lot still to be worked out, including when the election actually ends. You know, the Secretary of State of Michigan uh, said on television on Sunday that she anticipated that with uh, vote by mail that it'll be a week before mm-hmm. Michigan's vote is is available. And I'm sure that's going to be true in other states. And that that is going to create a real tension for our democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been well, well picked over. Uh, but it's a big concern. Hey, what about the debates? Are you what's your level of, of concern for uh, for Biden? And, and how would you be preparing him? You know, I'm, I'm actually not concerned for Biden, um, because I think he excels in this one on one structure. Um, of debates. You know, the way I'd be preparing him is exactly what we talked about earlier. How do you handle the craziness of the guy six feet away from you? Um, And the the crazy uh, things that he's going to say, he's going to constantly be trying to move them all on you. Um, 
do you ignore mm-hmm. it? Do you practice a couple of lines, you know, sort of like Ronald Reagan, there you go again. Um, yeah, there you go again, um, yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, how do you get your message out in a way that clearly differentiates you from the crazy guy six feet away from you? I don't think that'll be difficult. And I actually think that that is what Biden excels at. He had a difficult time in the debates during the primaries because number one, there were so many people. Um, number two, he's never fashioned himself as, uh, you know, being on the particular point in the pendulum of the party. He is who he is. And so People were running to the left. People were running to the right. And he was just Joe Biden. He had a difficult time figuring out where he fit in to those arguments. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, still conforms to the old rule of, rule of politics. You don't attack people in your own party. Um, and so I think he had a difficult time finding a space in those debates. He will not have a difficult time finding space in a debate against yes. Donald Trump. Um, and I think that's where he, he is going to excel. And, you know, he's, and we know the debate team that's prepping him, they are very good and they're thinking yes. of everything. Yes. Uh, and I know that, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the most important thing may be the person who plays Trump in those debates, you know, back in, uh, I've said this before in 2008, Jennifer Granholm played, uh, Sarah Palin in the prep for, uh, the vice presidential debate when Joe Biden was uh, the nominee for vice president. And she completely captured Palin, right. her her mannerisms, her speech patterns, her her her, her uh, unusual style. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it really it was so important because Biden was not surprised when he got on that stage. He knew what to expect. So they got to find someone who can, uh, you know, who can channel Trump, uh, mm-hmm. in a way that, uh, that, that, uh, Biden, uh, that, that where Biden can really, really, uh, prepare. I agree with you on this. I think that, um, you know, first of all, Trump has so lowered expectations for Biden that, uh, the bar is something that he can clear, uh, relatively smartly. And secondly, you and I both experienced what it's like to, for a president uh, to uh, debate the first time in four years, uh, it's tripped up. It tripped up George W. Bush mm-hmm. when you were working for uh, uh, Kerry. It tripped tripped up Obama uh, in his debate against Romney, his first debate against Dead. Romney. And you know maybe Trump can defy that, but he's going to come in there in a very. He, I don't see anything really changing the numbers between now and. Uh, and that debate on the 29th, which is just three mm-hmm. weeks from today, he's going to come in there knowing that he needs to have a great debate, not just a good debate, but a great debate to try and change the dynamic. And boy, that's an awful lot of pressure yeah. uh, on him stepping on that stage. So yeah. the conditions are right for Biden to overperform and Trump to underperform. Yeah. And I think you can expect a lot of attacks, personal attacks on Biden, uh, uh, you know, and Ukraine and Hunter Biden and Right, you know, sure. That's, that's Things stuff. to unsettle him. Right. So, um, yeah. anyway, he will have heard all of them. Stephanie, you are one of the one of the really brilliant people that I've worked with, and it is great to have you here. Stephanie, great to have you on the show. All right, thank See you. See you later. See ya. <laughs>